On this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome sneaker expert Jock Slade onto the show to discuss the rise of sneaker culture. Slade gives us a crash course in hopping into this popular hobby. Then Matt and I discuss Paul George's contract extension and the ongoing James Harden trade controversy. And now, Jock Slade. Our next guest gives daily updates on sports and music and is an expert on sneaker culture. He is the host of Hard Pass with Jock Slade on YouTube. We welcome Jock Slade onto Hoopsology. What's up, man? Thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. I love, I love this intro. That was so, it was so professional. You guys are so good at this. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Um, we're we're big fans of your YouTube channel, and as we're discussing kind of off air, um, we're newbies, um, we're kind of novices to sneaker culture. So we we wanted to have an expert just to kind of pick your brain and really get introduced to this this whole new world that we're hopefully hoping to learn more about. Um, so we'll get started and just how you fell in love with your first pair of sneakers and what led you onto this path of just hosting this YouTube channel and being one of the um, most known influencers um, kind of in this space. Well, oddly enough, my love for sneakers came through the lens of basketball. Uh, I had an older cousin uh, that played basketball and he was just like the idol for all of the younger, you know, that younger generation. And anything that he did, we wanted to do. And uh, basketball was like his main sport. He, he he happened to be really good at basketball. And so we all kind of wanted to be like him. And as a result of that, anything that he wore or any of his friends that he played basketball with wore, we wanted a piece of that. And sneakers was a part of that conversation. Uh, we remember them wearing Jordans back then. And so that kind of kick-started the love for sneakers as a way to kind of get a piece of like the older cousin generation and, and be as good as they were. And so what was, I guess the, the first shoe that like really stuck out in your mind in which you were like, man, I just have to have a pair of these. Gosh, there, there's a couple that I remember from back then. So like the Air Max 95 was a big shoe that stuck out to me. The Air Jordan 11 was a big shoe that stuck out to me. Um, and I, I remember getting a pair of Air Jordan 4s, or maybe it was the Air Jordan 5, from one of my cousin's older friends. One of my cousin's friends, they had basically beat them up playing basketball in them, and they knew, like, how much I just, like, admired them playing basketball. So, like, they gave me their old shoes. And and in terms of, I guess, my my thing is with, with sneakers, I'm always conflicted, right, because I like wearing them. But at the same time, they look so good, and I have – this habit of messing them up and scuffing them up. So um, I saw that video you posted <laughs> of, I think some resellers walking out with those, they're walking weirdly out of the store um, with the shoes they yeah. just bought. And I think that would just be me because I'd be like, I don't want to wear these. They look so good at the same time. Part of me is like, I want to show them off. So is there like a, just forgive me for, this might be a ridiculous question, but like, is there kind of like, I don't know, a, a, a different etiquette in terms of, you know, I'm just going to look, put these up, these sneakers I bought just to look at them or just wearing them out. How do you kind of, I guess, walk that line in terms of wearing them every day and just keeping them as a collector, collector's item? You know, I think, I think that's a, that's an individual decision, you know, that kind of depends on, on each individual taste. Like sneakerheads are not really like a monolith. There's, there's different types of sneakerheads in the U S the basketball shoes is a little, a bigger deal where as in the UK trainers, are more of a big deal and so it kind of just kind of depends on the type of sneakerhead that you are and what the purpose of the shoe is a lot of us 
buy shoes to wear them. And then, you know, you just try to make sure you take care of them so they don't look too beat up. But then there's also shoes that you kind of want to beat up almost as a way of showing that you're a part of the culture. So like for instance, the Air Jordan 3, it's a great looking shoe brand new, but you also like to wear it and kind of beat it up a little bit. So people know that you're just not wearing it because it's an Air Jordan 3 and like, oh, this is this cool shoe. You're wearing it because you actually love the shoe. It's almost like a love for the shoe versus a collector who keeps the shoe pristine versus a reseller who's trying to resell the shoes. So you have all these different dynamics that go on within the same community. Um, and so you, there's really not a, a straight answer for that question outside of really it's up to the individual on whether they want to keep them brand new looking clean or if they want to wear them and show people that they're in it because they love the culture. Jacques, um, moving over to kind of the, the player side of things, um, you know, in, in your most recent YouTube video, I think it was, um, you talked about this week, the, the Trey Young signature shoe coming out. Um, can you speak to kind of how players are in on developing these shoes with the shoe companies and then also how shoe companies are looking at kind of interacting with the fans through these shoes, like kind of the, the like culture of Atlanta, for example, with this Trey Young signature shoe. Um, can you speak mm -hmm. to that, like maybe specifically with these Trey Youngs, but then also um, maybe some other examples of, of how that kind of works in shoe design? Yeah, for, for the shoe design, generally what happens when, a, when, a, when an athlete or a signature athlete signs on to do a signature shoe, they, they're paired with a designer. And the designer kind of really kind of breaks down that athlete's game and finds out the, the, the little intricacies and nuances of that player's game. Like um, Trey Young is fast. He, you know, he shoots far. He needs to be light on his feet. So he's very nimble. So the designer is going to take all that into account when creating his shoe. And they create uh, a few different versions. And while Trey is in practice, they'll bring them out, like these unfinished versions of new ideas that they're trying out. Maybe they add more weight in the back or more weight in the front, or they give him some, some um, extra durability at the toe box because maybe they look at Trey's game and they see that he drags his toe or maybe he needs more, uh, more stability on top of the shoe because he cuts really fast. So they, the designers typically find out all of those things about the player's game, um, and then they're going like back and forth between the player. Player plays in the sample, gives his feedback to the designer, designer makes changes, and they go back and forth a couple times before they land on a design that they actually like. Now, once they get to that design, that's where like the story of the athlete starts to come together. So they'll, they'll dig into Trey's history, the things that he likes. So say Trey is really into Marvel. So maybe they do a Marvel collab with the shoe or mm -hmm. maybe Trey loves barbecue. So they do something with, I don't know, barbecue pits or something like that, that kind of t ties his story into the sneaker. And being in Atlanta, there's a great opportunity there. And this is where you see athletes like working within the community. So a signature athlete will get a new shoe and as part of the rollout of that shoe, they may refurbish a court in, in, in one of the neighborhoods there. So they do all of these different things to bring the culture of basketball together with the signature athlete and in hopes that one, that obviously that it sells, but also as a way to kind of make it aspirational for the community. 
is this something that's pretty unique to basketball and in how integrated it is with the community? Because, um, you know, may, perhaps I'm just ignorant on the subject. Well, definitely I am. But um, with the like NFL or, you know, with soccer where you have more specific cleats and things like that, you don't have this type of um, interaction. I mean, I'm sure athletes have signature cleats and things like that. Um, but is is it just something about the NBA that you can wear these on the court or for style um, that makes it so unique like that? Yeah, that that's exactly what it is. In the NBA, you see the faces of the athlete and their shoes work on the court and off the court, as opposed to baseball where you're wearing cleats, as opposed to football where you're wearing cleats or soccer where you're wearing cleats. So those don't translate off of the pitch or off of the field. So basketball is very unique in that way that it allows the athlete to, to live in both of those worlds. Awesome. And and then kind of along what you were just saying about developing the shoe, the shoe design, that, um, that interaction uh, between the player and the shoe designer um, as, you know, comparing like Trey Young, who's getting his first signature shoe to, um, you know, another shoe that you also uh, mentioned in in that video, um, you know, the LeBron, I believe, 17s, um, where, you know, now he's had a signature shoe for so long. Um, does it become really kind of more of a formality or how do they, um, I guess, kind of set a new goal for each shoe and, and what they want to emphasize? I think I think that's the that's the one of the unique things about about sports is. The longer you play the game, the more refined and fine-tuned your game kind of becomes, and also it goes, the changing of your needs. So Trey Young, who's younger now, may not need the same amount of cushioning that LeBron needs in, now that LeBron's been in the league for 18 years. So like those refinements are also being made consistently. So now the concern about LeBron is not necessarily fine tuning the performance and like the speed and agility of his shoe. It's more of, we need to find something that's going to be comfortable for LeBron. That's still going to allow him to perform, um, but also have the thought of longevity as part of the equation. So LeBron shoes are built a little sturdier. Um, they have a little more cushioning in them um, because that's, more of a, uh, I would say that's more of a, a point of reference now for LeBron than in his earlier days when he was just like, I need something quick and fast that's going to help me get up and down the court. Now he's like, I need something quick and fast that's going to get me up and down the court, but I also need to make sure that it has the sort of cushioning that I need so when I come down on a rebound, I'm not destroying my knees. And can you put into context what does it mean for Trey Young to have his own signature shoe? Um, it's not often that it's not every player gets one. Um, it's a it's a unique status within the, the NBA when an athlete gets their own signature shoe. Can you kind of explain what that symbolizes? Does that put more pressure on Trey Young as a as a player in terms of now he's representative uh, of this shoe that you know hundreds and thousands of kids are going to be wearing on on the courts? Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a huge deal for an athlete to get a signature shoe. As you guys mentioned, not many people actually get to have a shoe with their name on it. A lot of NBA players, they'll have their own logo or they'll, they'll endorse a shoe. But to have a signature shoe really puts Trey Young in the top echelon of basketball players. 
I think right now they're only, I believe, about 15 players in the NBA as a whole that actually have their own signature shoe. So he's he's among a very elite group, and he's entering into what you know what they call rare air uh, when it comes to sneakers. That's like the dream of every basketball player is to have a shoe named after them. And like only like the top one percent of the one percent actually have the uh, have the have the honor of having a shoe named after them. Shifting gears, and I want to point to something you said earlier in our conversation regarding how in, in America sneaker culture is mostly centered around the the NBA, but other parts of the world is not. Can you elaborate on that further? Um, in terms of sneaker culture, just around the world, what are the kind of genres in terms of how that's popular and how people um, connect to their pair of sneakers like where they find that connection compared to you know americans they predominantly watch the nba yes well for here in the u.s basketball obviously has a bigger influence than it does have for the rest of the world and that's in basketball culture which really you know you can say started in in the urban neighborhoods like there the urban neighborhood is really the 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 spark of culture in in America. A lot of the trends, a lot of the things that you see happening, are 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 um, are based on fashion trends that happened in the urban neighborhood. A lot of it has to do with hip hop as well, you know, which obviously came from urban neighborhoods. But around the world, that same influence is not there. Um, and so, basketball sneakers don't necessarily have the same impact or have the same cultural relevance. And so for the rest of the world, soccer is the biggest sport, hands down, like without question. And so they, they don't have the same sort of influences when it comes to what their off-court style is. And so trainers have become like a bigger deal for the rest of the world, whether it's a running shoe or it's a lifestyle version of a soccer shoe. That sort of culture just doesn't resonate the same here in the U.S. as it does for the rest of the world. And can you explain now in 2020 specifically, I see sneaker culture crossing over to other forms of entertainment I would never even conceive of in terms of, of sneakers being a big deal, like, you know, professional wrestling. Like there's, there's a wrestler, Kofi Kingston, who actually has a custom designer, designer design yeah. his shoes um, for all of his matches and it just it boggles my mind. I see even like the the Bella twins, like they have their own sneakers they like. Or you know, people that I would never even think they would be into this. They are hardcore into sneakers. Um can you just point to kind of this exploding to other just things that you would never conceive sneakers crossing over into pop culture. What what can you uh, I guess attest that to, you think? Uh you know, I think that People like sneakers. I think a lot of people like sneakers, but it wasn't necessarily as noticeable or cool. It wasn't part of the zeitgeist, so to speak, uh, until the last maybe 10 years. So the last 10 years, sneakers has definitely entered into the world of pop culture, where before it was a very niche sort of thing. And so now you have these people that are doing these different things that are sneakerheads. I know personally a ton of people that are sneakerheads that have different jobs, whether it's a doctor, whether it's somebody that runs a retail business or somebody that works as a PR rep at an agency. Like there's tons of 
sneakerheads around the world and that and that are in different jobs, but now the pop culture aspect of sneaker has allowed them to almost kind of come out the closet and be like, hey, I love sneakers too. I know I didn't really talk about it before, but now it's like the cool <laughs> thing to talk about. And I want you guys to know, like, that's part of my world too. I love it too. I have a hundred sneakers at home. Like I know a guy that does PR and he just, he loves sneakers. He absolutely loves them, but you wouldn't, you know, based on his job title and the way he dresses when he goes to work, you wouldn't necessarily make that connection. But now you get people like Kofi Kingston, you get like the Bella twins, uh, you get guys that are playing video games, these gamers that are really into sneakers. It was just not something that they talked about before or, you know, they talked about it, but it was only within their quote-unquote sneakerhead circle. Now they're able to share that message with the world because everybody is into it. Speaking along those lines, um, you know, sneakers have have really expanded in, in terms of shoe companies giving deals to you know, influencers in pop culture, people who are, are just really big names. Like, for example, Kid Cudi, as you mentioned in your video, has a pair of sneakers. Kanye, of course, has the, the Yeezys or the Yeezys. Um, how do you see that expanding? I mean, could, do you think that sneaker companies are going to keep awarding like more and more shoe deals to pop culture icons? Or do you see that um slowing down anytime soon based on where things are going that that's a great question and i'm not sure where the direction of that is going to go i i think because sneakers has become such a big part of the pop culture lexicon that they are tapping into different sources of inspiration so that's where you get like the singers or the actors or the fashion designers coming into the world of sneakers, which is usually just more of an athletic lens or maybe possibly a music lens. So that that trend has been trending for a bit a while now. I would say, you know, probably the last five, six years that that's been a part of the culture. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly how long that is going to continue, but I, I know it does, it, it'll be determined by how how long sneakers can remain a part of the pop culture world. And if they, people get tired of it that aren't really into it, or if there is someone that can bring a level of excitement to it, then it's going to continue. But as far as like a hard yes or no, this is going to be here the next 10 years. Unfortunately, I'm not sure I could give a definitive answer on that one. (laughs) I can't blame you. (laughs) So in preparation of this interview, I asked uh, one of my good buddies, he's, he's a hardcore sneakerhead, and um, his response to me was his concern of this sneaker culture being destroyed by bots and the reseller market. So for like a novice like myself and Matt, can you kind of put in context, what are bots, what is the reseller market compared to just going to like a champ sports or just finding a pair um, online? Because I, I can kind of attest this a little bit. Like I, I saw trending on Twitter, there was the Kobe Bruce Lee collaboration, and I thought those mm-hmm. sneakers looked awesome. I love Bruce Lee, and I click on the link, and they're immediately sold out. I'm like, an average Joe like me could I ever even have a shot at even getting those like six months from now. So can you kind of put in the context, like what is the steps of just buying a sneaker besides just going to a, a store? And do you think it's true that, you know, bots in the reseller market, they, they pose a risk in, in kind of damaging sneaker culture? 
Yeah, so the bot and reseller aspect of sneaker culture is something that's relatively new because of the the technology age. So before, when you got sneakers, generally you got them from your local neighborhood. Every once in a while, you know, you knew somebody on a different part, you know, different part of the world that could get you something. But because of the internet and social media, shoes became available to everyone. Um, so there was a bigger opportunity for everyone to get their hands on the shoes and more people having access to shoes, especially those that are made in a limited capacity, obviously makes it tougher and tougher to get shoes. As, as that situation grew, there were some enterprising entrepreneurs who found a way to use technology to their advantage that allowed them to get shoes faster than you could do it as a human when checking out with shoes. Because now a lot of shoes are available online. You, you buy them online. We're not going to stores as often as we were before. And so a lot of the hype stuff is purchased, you know, right from your phone or from your computer. And so bots are basically taking advantage of technology and allowing those people to buy shoes before you could humanly buy them by automatically putting in your information or finding information out before anybody else because they're monitoring websites and getting all this information. And so it makes it frustrating for those that have been sneakerheads for a long time that were used to being able to get the sneakers that they wanted. But this is a byproduct, I think, also of shoes becoming popular. As shoes become popular in pop culture, more people are going to want them. And it, as it becomes more of a thing that shows you're cool, so to speak, more people are going to buy into that. So now, instead of just having the sneakerheads and the athletes that are looking for sneakers, now you have the sneakerheads, you have the athletes, and then you have the people that are using the bots and reselling the shoes, which I call entrepreneurs who are masquerading as sneakerheads and athletes. So what advice would you give to like somebody getting into this culture um, for the first time? If, if I wanted to, like I saw those pair of those Bruce Lee, Kobe collaborations, and I just don't have any way of finding them. I don't know really any of the apps. I don't know really anywhere to look. What would be kind of your advice to somebody? Hey, like I want to get into this. I think they're cool. Like what, what steps do you think you would give to a beginner? So for the beginner, I would tell them to first buy what you like, not what you think everyone else is going to like. See, that's that's the, this is part of the, the the frustration of the bots is that generally with the bots, they're buying all the stuff that's really hyped up. So they're buying all the limited editions and stuff like that that get a lot of buzz. But there are for every hyped sneaker, there are a hundred sneakers sitting on a shelf at Foot Locker or Finish Line or at the Nike store or at the Adidas store that you can go and buy. So people think that being a sneakerhead means having all of these hyped sneakers. I would say being a sneakerhead is just having a love for sneakers in general. And if there is a certain sneaker that you like, start by buying those. Like, don't worry about the hype stuff. If you get it, yeah, it's great. And there is a huge amount of social clout that's connected to it. But it's not necessary for you to be a sneakerhead. You be a, you're a sneakerhead by buying the things you like and collecting and wearing the sneakers that you are actually passionate about, not just the stuff that's limited edition. And this year, 2020, it's been just a, a weird year just in general. How do you think the pandemic has 
affected just sneaker culture in general in terms of just getting those new releases? Has it primarily moved um, online? Has it provided any delays of any high-profile um, sneakers that were supposed to come out and it's got delayed a few months just because of the pandemic? Um, how has it played just sneaker culture survive just dealing with this, this bizarre year? Yeah, it's been it's been interesting because people you would think people aren't wearing sneakers as much, but as far as like the the hype around sneakers, that really hasn't changed much despite everything that's going on during the pandemic. That that audience for sneakers, so that hunger or is or the appetite for sneakers is still there. That hasn't changed really at all. The biggest delay there have been a few things that are delayed and, and even still now things are getting pushed back. I mean, early in the pandemic, you saw like release dates getting pushed back a month or a month and a half and things like that. But the appetite for sneakers still hasn't changed. And, and overall, you were talking earlier about athletes involved in the creative process regarding how comfortable a sneaker is and how they want to the sneaker to perform once they're out in the court, but is there kind of like a balance to be played in terms of just the everyday person who just wants to just wear um, a pair of LeBron sneakers? Like they may look cool, but in application, they may not fit their needs. Um, is there kind of like a straddling of the line in terms of like actual athletes that, um, you know, you, you want to wear a pair of LeBrons, but when actually using them, um, they, they may not actually fit their, their needs. I guess my question is, um, for athletes who are in, involved in that design process and I guess um, other shoe companies, are they kind of straddling that line, not only to tailor a sneaker towards that particular athlete, but also just to the consumer market as well in terms of what is comfortable and what's going to be um, more likely to uh, succeed on more of a um, average consumer level. Yeah. And, and I would take that, that the designers definitely have to keep that in mind because at the end of the day, they need to sell shoes. So they need to make make sure that they create a shoe that is going to work for the for the general public at large. So my my advice always to to people that are buying shoes is look at the player that your game most resembles, and that's kind of where you put your eggs in the basket as far as buying your sneaker shoe. Like I'm not gonna buy a LeBron shoe to necessarily wear on court. Like LeBron's a much bigger player than me. He plays a different game than I do. Whereas something like someone like me, I would buy something more along the lines of like a Dane Willard shoe or a Kyrie Irving shoe or maybe like a Steph Curry shoe because that that fits my game a little more. I'll I'll buy a LeBron just because I like them, like this, I like what they look like, and I like to wear them just around casually. But as far as my game, I think the designers design shoes kind of based on that player profile not specifically for that player. Each, each NBA player that you see, even though they have signature shoes, they also have what are called custom orthotics, where they have insoles inside of their shoes that are custom to their feet to help even more, to help fine tune their shoes even more. And uh, one more question for you, Jock, and we'll let you go. Um, just this season's coming up. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on what you're looking forward to um, during the upcoming NBA season starting around the Christmas time. Um, compared to the bubble, uh, are you more looking forward to seeing the, the rest of the teams being involved um, in terms of more of a regular season format, or are you going to miss kind of that that bubble, that intimate atmosphere? So here's the interesting thing about, about all – all of this, I, I, 
liked what happened in the bubble. Not necessarily that the guys didn't have access to, you know, to move about and, and to get out of the bubble and, you know, to live with their families, but the format I thought was really interesting. So now that we have all these teams coming back, it, like, it was almost, I remember last season, they had these talks about doing like a tournament style format in the middle of the season. And, and you, if you made it to the tournament or it gave you extra points for like the end of the year. So seeing almost like then gamify the season, how they did with the, when they, with the, how they had to do it in the bubble where you had these extra teams that were fighting to get into the playoffs. That was a lot more exciting to me. I don't know if it's just because I'm bored with the prior format of the NBA. So that was the thing that was the most exciting to me. So even though like the season's coming back and it's supposed to be quote unquote, like a regular season, I would love to see some of them to implement some sort of format changes like they had to do with the bubble into the regular season, just to give it a little more umph to it, to make it a little more interesting, to make it a little more exciting. Well, Jack, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, Key, please plug where we can find you on social media, on YouTube, and any upcoming pro- um, projects you have uh, for 2021. Uh, if they want to find me, it's all under my name, Jacques Slade. That's under Cousteau, which is K-U-S-T-O-O. So my handle on everything is Cousteau, which is K-U-S-T-O-O. But if you search my name, Jacques Slade, you should find um, all the stuff that I'm doing. And um, you'll find me on YouTube in 2021. That's where I'll be. So if you want to see what I'm up to, that's the place to check. Awesome. Well, we appreciate your insight. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been an awesome chat. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. Hopefully I hopefully I helped with uh, some sneaker information. Hopefully people understand and get a better understanding of the culture now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Very helpful. Thank you, Jacques. <laughs> no problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Jacques Slade for joining us. Uh, we now welcome to Hoopsology with Justin Goodrum with uh, Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Hey, hey. Well, you know, not not too much in the grand scheme of things. We can't really go anywhere, do a whole lot. But, man, I've, I'm having a good weekend anyway, getting, getting stuff done around the house, getting ready for the week. Made some uh, awesome cranberry sauce yesterday. So, you know, feel, feeling pretty good about that. How are you? Good, man. I just really enjoyed the chat with Jock Slade. Um, just yeah, about sneaker fun. culture. Um, he's a... a popular influencer um, into kind of that, that sneaker world. So it was awesome just picking his brain. I just feel like, you know, myself personally, I'm just like a novice in terms of just that world. And growing up, sneakers was never a thing. I never cared about what sneakers Jordan wore. I know that seems blasphemous, but it was never really a thing in my mind regarding what shoes he was wearing. I just cared he was dominating for my team. So it, I think it's come full circle where just um, as, you'll, as you listen to in the interview – this other parts of society, like it just the sneaker culture just can't be ignored anymore, no matter what um, hobbies you're into. Yeah. Yeah. I have, you know, he, he was just very enlightening um, as, as far as that sneaker culture, how that has expanded. I mean, you guys just heard it obviously, but yeah, it was a pleasure having him on and, and getting more insight on that. Cause you know, I, I still from time to time, I'll, I'll be honest, I buy shoes from Costco every now and then. So so I'm pretty ignorant as far as uh, the the major shoes and the new player releases, things like that. So it's really cool to to hear more about that. 
For sure. Um, on our portion of the show, we're going to be discussing um, Paul George's new contract extension. Um, we'll break down some light preseason thoughts and then hop into this James Harden situation. Man, it's like the ask the world turns with this guy. Um, and we'll <laughs> we'll get into um, what his options are and and discuss kind of the overall culture of this player attitudes in the player entitlement era. Um, and we'll reference some comments from Bill Simmons. He had a, a strong 30 minute rant about this. So we'll give our reaction to that as well. So let's hop into our first topic. And that is Bob, Paul George's contract extension. Um, Paul George um, is going to get 226 million over the next five years. Um, this comes as, I think, a shock to me. It was based on his playoff performance last year. I realize what Paul George can offer. However, I just think, and Doc Rivers referenced this, and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> I, may, I may be wrong, but the Ty Luce is the new coach of the, of the Clippers, correct? Correct. So he was referencing that you know Ty Lue was an assistant last year, and now he was pretty much under the tutelage of Doc Rivers, and Paul George was complaining how much he was being used in that system. What makes Paul George think things are going to change next this coming year um, in terms of being utilized better? So sure. with this extension, I just question how he's going to really mold with this offense with, with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, granted, they have more time to really mesh um, injuries withstanding, but – it didn't really happen last year, especially Paul George being such an all-around player. Uh, Matt Kellerman, I think, brought this up, and I, I agree with him. I mean, I think, he, you know, in his prime, I do think Paul George is a better player than Carmelo Anthony in his prime. I mean, offensively, defensively, there's more things to offer. But now I think there's just some serious questions. And I think last year, if you listen to all the Smoke podcast um, with um, Stephen Jackson, um, you know, on, on the Showtime podcast network, he goes into detail how his mind was not right. And I think that is a question. I mean, I respect the, the mental health issues that he went through in the bubble, a very tumultuous time. However, I mean, this is a very cutthroat business and I mean, sports is very much results based. It's not necessarily based on like just human beings, unfortunately. So this extension surprises me. Where do you think this franchise is going in terms of offering him this type of money? Do you think that it's considered the bubble just a anomaly in terms of how they think he's going to perform um, in the years to come? What do you make of this extension? Well, as many contracts go in sports, it's all – well, not all, but it is mostly, I would say, potential-based. So obviously the Clippers are betting on Paul George bouncing back. He's 6'10". He's a 40% three-point shooter. He's very athletic, can create his own offense. We've, we've talked in past episodes about the struggles of the Clippers, the drama of the Clippers, how I was not a fan of the Ty Lue hiring, even though I like Ty Lue, uh, for that very reason, that, that he was – I mean, why not extend Doc Rivers at that point then? Um, so I, I think your criticisms are totally fair. I think it's fair to be skeptical. I think the thinking here is that if Paul George bounces back this year, which you would have to think he's motivated to do that based on all the criticism that he received, if, if he bounces back, 
then you are in a better place to sign Kawhi Leonard to a very similar type of extension as well and, and keep those two together. Does it make you a title contender? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, it makes you relevant for the next five years. So I think that's what the Clippers want. I think as a franchise, that's a pretty good goal for the Clippers. I I do understand the the criticism of Paul George, and I do understand your questioning of him of, you know, can this guy really live up to it when when the pressure rises, when when times are really tough? I mean, we saw in Game 7 against the Miami Heat, I believe back in 2014, um, no, he, he wasn't able to, to rise to the pressure. He, he had a, a very bad game seven, just, just to be frank. Uh, and we saw similar type of thing in, uh, this past season in the bubble playoffs, obviously when, when the Clippers dropped that three, one series lead and we didn't see him really shine in the playoffs in OKC when he was paired up with Westbrook, when he was, I believe it was third on the MVP voting that season when probably he had his, his best year of his career. So yeah, there are a lot of question marks around Paul George, but at the end of the day, when you have someone who's six ten, very athletic can create his own offense and can shoot from three point range. Like he has in the past when he hasn't been slumping, um, you're going to get a max deal in the NBA. I, th- I think that's the reality of it. Do you think the Clippers, do you think the, the biggest thing here is, the amount of money on the contract or, or do you think the length of the contract is what you're most unhappy about or, or both? I think a mix of both. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm on, I don't know. Unhappy is not the right word. Cause I'm not a fan of the Clippers. It's kind of like they're, I don't know, irrelevant to me. Um, what I don't understand with, with, with this team is the hype, especially last year, which they were like the consensus, like favorite them and the Lakers to win the title. And I told you, even when the season was starting, I didn't really understand this Clippers hype, even before we started relaunching the podcast. Like it, mm-hmm. it was just perplexing how much hype this team had. Um, I think it was the Kawhi momentum. I mean, if, that, if I had to put a enough. guess on it. True. That's a good point. But it was just I just I wasn't feeling it the entire year. I'm like something's not right with this team, and, mm. and sure enough, you saw it in the bubble. And I think honestly, the same thing would have happened if it was just regular playoffs. Um, I think the only thing that probably would have saved them is maybe home court advantage. I think that is a thing in the NBA that does matter. Uh, but to answer your question, I'm more just questioning. Uh, just what happens if this team continues to fail, and and I mm. don't necessarily mean them not winning the NBA title. I mean, winning mm-hmm. a championship is very difficult. So let's say if they make the finals this year and they lose, and next year if they make the finals, they lose. I wouldn't necessarily think like two straight years going to the finals and losing is a failure. I don't think so. Uh, I think some other people might. But to me, them just being, you know, losing, you know, blowing a 3-1 lead, I think that is a failure. And for sure, my, my bar for this team is at least Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals. Um I think that that money that Paul George is getting is indicative indicative of that. I, I want to ask you this because I, I heard this on the podcast he was on. He was describing before he suffered his injury with Team USA um, the summer prior. Um, you know, he performed really well. He was really filling. His performance was really excelling, and then the injury. Um, really held him back. Do you think that still lingers in his mind? Even though, like you said, in, in OKC, he had one of his best years ever. But 
we've seen signs, especially in the playoffs, where he's just not the same player. Do you think that's a lingering factor? Not necessarily like outwardly like the the leg injury is affecting his play, but just maybe something mentally. Um, just I don't know. In high pressure moments, do you think he's a different player since that injury happened? Just in terms of performing in his high pressure situations. You know, I, I don't know Paul George intimately, so this is all speculation, but I would sure. guess yes, because when you have a major catastrophic injury like his leg injury was, that does change how you play the game. That even, you know, we'll talk about preseason basketball later, but John Wall talked about the mental relief he had the very first play in the Rockets preseason game against your Bulls, where he was able to drive to the hoop and get a layup 12 seconds into that game. Um and that just mentally like really gave him some confidence. So it, to me, it feels like Paul George still needs to build up more confidence. He hasn't been able to be as aggressive uh, going into the paint. You know, he, he's been more of a perimeter guy and maybe paired with Kawhi. That's, that's an okay place for him to be if their offense is functioning a little bit better than it did last year in the bubble. Um, but you know, it's 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 interesting. Um, I, I do think, you know, if, if you're talking about mental issues and things like that of, you know, being in the bubble. And, and of course, yes, we're we're sensitive. Um, of course, if, if he's having some serious mental health issues, we, we want him well. We want him Absolutely. treated for that, of course. Um, but that definitely I mean, there, there's a reason that teams have sports psychologists these days, because. Um, you know, not only the morale of the team and, and things like that, they're they're very important for, uh, but also something like this bouncing back from a huge injury. So it it wouldn't shock me at all if to this day, even though that injury was several years ago at this point, he is still um, he still has that in his subconscious even and and it affects his play a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think Paul George has so much so much potential i mean i remember even uh, hearing about him when he was drafted out of fresno state um he he just has one of those builds of like a, a star nba player that you would want you know you would want as like your my player in um in nba 2k you you would want to be you know 610 able to knock down threes pretty fast pretty agile all those things, he checks those boxes. Um, you know, to, to throw back a, a counter question to you, do you think that the Clippers would be better off putting the money from his contract somewhere else, like maybe to kind of mid-level players that could support Kawhi Leonard? Like, do you think they're really handcuffing themselves with him? Or do you think that the ceiling is so high if Paul George can get back to, let's say that OKC form that, that it's worth taking that risk. Cause keep in mind, this is, this is the Clippers. This is little brother still. I know they have more swagger oh, yeah. with Steve Ballmer and everything, but they're still little brother to the Lakers very, very much. So as evidenced by this season. Yeah. A hundred percent. While I have my criticisms of Paul George, I think like you alluded to, this is a very player centric league. And you need as many all-stars as you can get. And I think there's still enough potential with him to justify keeping him. You don't really have a choice. And 
I think in this new era of Clippers basketball, it's important to have stability um, for the next five years. I mean, you mentioned, I think, believe last week where, you know, a team, team eras go like through like five years cycles typically. So with him, it's best to, to lock him up in his contract. I just have some serious doubts, but is that or get some mid-level players? I, I especially in the West, I just don't see that viable compared to the the Eastern Conference in which the Toronto Raptors model. I think that'd be a lot more feasible. But I, I don't know when you're just when you're in a conference against LeBron James, you need all the help you can get. And Anthony Davis on the same team. There's just no yeah. way Kawhi, along with some kind of you know borderline all stars, he's going to be able to really compete with that. Just those two guys alone. I mean, it's just they're they're just too much. Their um, output is just so overwhelming that for the Clippers just to have a a good supporting cast around Kawhi is not going to get the job done. Yeah, yeah, and you know the West being so much more brutal, at least historically compared to the East uh, over the course of the regular season. And with Kawhi needing load management still at this point, um, I I think I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, this is such a talent driven league that, yeah, I, I agree with your answer there for sure. Um, Let's move on to some preseason thoughts. Um, I don't have too much to go on here. Just seeing um, Kevin Durant warm up. Uh, Twitter's freaking out right now just because he's about to play um, his first basketball game. This is courtesy of NBA Retweet for the first time in 50, 552 days. So uh, Twitter Jeez. Twitter is ablaze um, just waiting for Durant to see his first some um, action on the court. I, I have to say watching um, the preseason game with the Bulls and the Wizards – and I'm sorry, the Bulls and the Houston Rockets. I, sorry, I'm used to John Wall with the Wizards. But um, – despite the Bulls losing in terrible fashion. Um, this, just seeing it um, in more of an arena, it was weird. It weirded me out. Um, just watching the highlights, the presentation was not as intimate. It has seemed mm. pretty empty in there. Um, so that, I'm kind of worried about that when the season begins. So from a presentation standpoint, that was a little concerning to see. Uh, in, in terms of, I don't know, plays, I'm not really in the preseason too much anyway. I'm like, kind of call me when the regular season starts. Just, I, I love it when, you know, once the season kicks off, we have like those six more, you know, between two days, six marquee games to watch out for. Uh, but preseason doesn't really light my world on fire. Uh, mm. How about you? Maybe you feel differently. Well, as, as someone rooting for the Rockets, um, I, I think the Rockets preseason is, is kind of the most consequential, I would argue, uh, because of things that have happened this week that we'll get into uh, but also because you have simultaneously like John Wall and DeMarcus Boogie Cousins coming back from from injuries, coming back from maybe obscurity a little bit in, in DeMarcus Cousins case. Um, so I, I do think it's it's cool, like in these cases and, and KD as well as a great example. It's it's cool to see these guys get some minutes in, get to see how they can move around. Like, for example, I mean, John Wall. um the, the he's so reliant on his speed for his game that, you know, you want to see if that guy has that, you know, fifth gear still. Um, and, and he clearly did, at least in that preseason game, of course, 
Um, just like any other stock or any other um, sport, excuse me, I, I don't put too much stock in the preseason, uh, like with NFL football, for example. Um, you know, you, you can't make much of the game result, really, because teams are trying things out. And what you want to see is do these players move well, those types of things. Um, and is it is it looking like these, these guys are going to be back to normal? Um, so th- those are the major things to look at in preseason basketball. And then I think, yeah, presentation, like you mentioned there. Um, so, you know, game result, not really mattering all that much. I, I'm just glad to see some players we've been waiting a long time to see looking healthy, playing again. Hopefully that's the case for KD as well. Yeah, me too. I- I'm looking forward to kind of this new look NBA. I think from a presentation standpoint, I just have some concerns, but so far not seeing anything that stands out to me. Hopefully everybody's healthy. Hopefully by the time that the season kicks off, there's minimal to no COVID cases, but that makes me nervous. I mean, we're not in the bubble anymore. Teams are traveling. You're on an airport. I mean, guys can basically do just free will. It's not like you can't leave your house if you're playing at home. Um, it's it's a different ball game where you're not isolating everybody on this uh, resort, sort of speak in Florida. So I, I do have my concerns. So um, I, I wish the NBA the best of luck, and we'll see how it plays out in the next couple of weeks. Do you think your your concern is um, like mostly that? ratings are going to drop because it, it looks kind of awkward or where, where's the main concern really just that it's not going to be enjoyable to watch. Um, two things, just like I felt in the bubble, it was very intimate and it was very much like a street ball tournament atmosphere. And so I didn't really notice the fans not being there and really the video wall that it, that helped me. I really liked that. Um, it looks, you know, somewhat kind of corny at times but still seeing some kind of human interaction there seemed cool i know the wwe they i mean their thing looks spectacular or you've seen it but they have an entire oh arena God. with video video walls surrounded with fans mm. and they got that idea from the nba so i don't i don't know it's tough to do that in every single nba arena this probably costs a fortune but just seeing yeah, like i don't no, think it's worth it no no representation of fans is, is drawing to me um, I think on the ratings front where they're going to run into trouble is players getting COVID. And so when you have a marquee matchup, like a doubleheader on TNT and, you know, LeBron's out, Kawhi's out and, you know, you, you know, half the team's out and you're just seeing random players on the court. <laughs> I mean, when you, I know what Charles Barkley is going to say, he's going to be like, don't watch this game. <laughs> just watch, go watch Disney Plus or something. Um, I mean, he's exactly basically what honest. Chuck would say. Yeah, <laughs> uh, something, you know, he's pretty honest. So that's yeah. where my concerns are from a rating standpoint is, you know, players. I mean, we suffer from this without COVID. Just, you know, it teams wrestling players on marquee matchups. Now you have COVID. So um, that's that's my primary concern. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know, I, I think at a certain point we we run into a place like, like this season, like, you know, mentioning the virtual screen, I I think, you know, we both agree it'd it'd be kind of a ridiculous investment to try to make it good for the next, you know, six months or, or what have you uh, before things can open up a little bit more, hopefully, Uh, you know, obviously we'll see, but um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's also, you know, just kind of 
understanding from the public that you know you're doing all that you can like i i don't imagine them getting too much of like a, like criticism from the media for it but but i think it's it's fair to expect that like on on nights like that like let's say uh you know kd is is back playing well but gosh he got he got covid gosh for him you know let's hope that doesn't happen that'd be getting covid again right. um yeah. he already had it but but let's let's use that example. Say say he had it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's fair to expect that the ratings would dip in that case. Or even, um, you know, let's say like like John Morant um, gets that. You know, Memphis completely relies on him for for any ratings that they get. So um, yeah, I, I think it's it's unfortunate, but um, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what can be done to avoid it. You know, it's it's. It's just going to happen at, at times this year. For sure. Um, let's move on to our next topic, and it's something that we're going to spend a lot of time on, and that's James oh Harden. Boy. Oh, boy. And he, <laughs> a lot of thoughts on this from all sorts of basketball influencers, including our guest um, Jock Slade had a lot of thoughts on this, but plenty of podcasts, and, and Bill Simmons in particular. So I just want to kind of read you the news first regarding James Harden, and then we'll kind of hop into um, Bill Simmons' comments. Um Regarding Harden, there's been teams that have expressed interest um, mutually. Um, the 76ers, the Miami Heat, the Bucks, the Golden State Warriors. Um, nothing has materialized. Um, of course, we know about the controversy about him not showing up to Houston Rockets practice. Um, him at this, uh, I forgot which rapper. This shows how out of touch I am with the hip hop community. But somebody named some baby, I don't know. There's Lil many... something. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious because you know back. I sound like we're 95 years old, but you know, there's a bunch of littles. Now there's, there's plenty of babies. So I don't understand what's this fascination with, I don't know, babies, but nevertheless, there's a bunch. Of them. Um, I, I sound super old now, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm right here with myself. you, man. I'm right here <laughs> I'm with shocking you. myself. Saying all this. I think it was but, little baby. Yeah. So just, probably just combining the little right. from our generation <laughs> exactly. to the baby of this generation. I think. Exactly. Easy to, easy to remember. Um, getting into Bill Simmons' comments, he he went on like a thirty-minute rant regarding kind of the player entitlement era and going through every single um point in history of NBA players that were disgruntled that wanted to trade from their I guess not original teams in some points their original teams but um they were just unhappy and wanted to trade and and through this he was I think he was making an argument in terms of the fear that he had of James Harden, unlike you alluded to, Matt, Harden having two years left on his contract and expressing now he wants to trade and how that's going to lead into players as being unhappy for one year and just wanting to bounce and requesting a trade. Um, I think he's overreacting. I think he was also stating that, you know, the NBA fan base mostly roots for teams and not for players. I strongly disagree. Your evidence of that, I mean, even though you are a Rockets fan, I would say you're a bigger LeBron fan, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I think even um, Mike it's Greenberg. It's complicated. I'll say that. <laughs> I mean, Greenberg. I have my referred, for sure. I think Greenberg referred to it, um, you know, Mike, Mike Greenberg from ESPN. You know, his kids, they, you know, they love their athletes from NBA 2K. They don't necessarily care about a team 
they're they're worried about you know a certain player and not necessarily a franchise and that even speaks to kobe kobe is an awesome example you had kobe fans not just laker fans they didn't give a crap about the lakers they were obsessed, obsessed with kobe bryant and i think the same goes for michael jordan as much as we hate to admit it and i think you know the last dance is, is indicative of that i think there's I think I'm in the minority of being a loyalist to the Chicago Bulls compared to, you know, a lot of people being loyal to Michael Jordan. Once Jordan left the Bulls, did people care about Chicago anymore? Not really. <laughs> just keeping mm-hmm. it real until mm-hmm. Derrick Rose showed up. I mean, that's just be real in terms of the relevancy. I mean, the Bulls made the playoffs plenty of times after Jordan retired, but until Derrick Rose got there, the Bulls were pretty much a team no one really – pay too much a mind they're at most a seventh seed if that so i guess he had a, focusing on james harden um i guess there's two main issues at play one james harden behavior right um vocalizing he wants to trade two um disrespecting the houston rockets and, and then three if in fact his wishes are going to be granted to him of being traded and then on the other side of things overall the future of the league in terms of players wanting out so i'm sure this is running through bill simmons mind for instance zion is a good example right if the pelicans suck for two years are you going to see zion angling to be traded if he lives up to his potential and i guess that's the general fear so what do you what do you make of this matt is this kind of a doom and gloom scenario that you know james harden's playing out here that if he gets his wish to go to any of these other teams during this point of the season, you'll see other young players take suits being like, hey, hey, you don't get it done in two years. I'm leaving. Or do you think this is a massive overreaction? I don't think it's an overreaction. Um, in, with James Harden specifically, I, I think James Harden has played with the Rockets for years. I mean, since since 2012. He's been with the Rockets. If he wants to move on to a new team, that is well within his his rights. That's, you know, that's what he wants to do. He's on contract for two more years. If the Rockets want to play nice with him, which tends to be the MO of these organizations other than maybe like the Celtics, um, you know, if, if they want to play nice with James Harden, and trade him now, they can do that, especially if they find a trade with value. Ultimately, like, let me be clear to start that I I think Harden should do what he wants to do, do what's best for him. Uh, I I don't agree with his behavior this week, for one thing. I I don't think that's how you handle your business as a professional. I don't think that's how you increase your trade value so that you can work to the point that you get somewhere that you want to go. I think you should work with your organization uh, as far as that goes. I mean, especially in a time where the Rockets are in transition, they, they have, you know, John Wall and Boogie Cousins as new pieces around him for one thing. Also new front office staff uh, with Daryl Morey exiting and a new head coach. So I think it's, it's a really, really bad look and a bad mark on James Harden as a leader, as a guy who is the number one franchise player, superstar of, of your team. Uh, I think it's a terrible look for him. I've, I've had my feelings um, about James Harden over the years that, that you know about. I mean, part of the reason uh, I haven't been watching the Rockets as closely in recent years is, is because 
James Harden has been that number one superstar. And, you know, as, as someone, I mean, my, my closest connection to a professional sports city is with Houston family down in Texas. Um, so that's, that's why I say I'm, I'm loosely a Rockets fan, but you're right in that, like I did root for LeBron to win his title in Cleveland and, and other things like that uh, because I wanted other things to keep me entertained and, and very interested in, in basketball. So I, I've definitely sought those out. Um, so I guess, you know, I, th- I think you and I both agree James Harden didn't handle his business very well this week. I, I think you and I agree that players have the right to mobility as, as far as, as where they go. Um, here's, here's kind of where I wanted to pick your brain and, and kind of answer your question with a, with another question, I guess. What, what do you think James Harden owes to the Houston franchise? And what do you think he owes to the Houston fans? And, and a fair answer might be not much. I would say other than him to perform and to show up and I would say in regards to um, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, talk to the media. Um, other than that, not a damn thing. I think he's been there for a long time. If he wants to request a trade, so be it. I think as long as he is um, turning out 100% effort on the court, um, and that's why I don't understand, like, because I heard, I heard that argument, too. It's like, he's portraying the Houston Rockets fans. You know, what What are you talking about? He's been there for seven years. <laughs> I, don't, he, I mean, yeah. if we're talking about his actual performance, that is indicative of James Harden's play as a basketball player, not necessarily because he hates the Houston Rockets. He, I just think he's just not that good in the playoffs. I don't think that has anything to do with him hating Houston. And... Him wanting a trade, I don't think I don't understand how you can correlate that with him disrespecting the Rockets fan base. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so agreed. That's that's where it just gets confusing because from a fan standpoint, is James Harden just supposed to be cool with fans wanting to see him traded <laughs> because of his performance? It's been seven years, so he's just going to mm-hmm. be, oh, well, the fans are fine about their own opinion of me. No, it's like he's a human being. If he wants out, he wants out. However, he needs to be a professional and you know, play through his ability on the court in which he has a vested interest is because if he doesn't, then that's going to hurt his trade value. If he's out there just being a nuisance and just you know, playing crappy – and we see a noticeable dip in his playing ability, then that's going to hurt him. You know, that's going to hurt mm-hmm. his future revenue. So he has a vested interest in performing well, regardless if he wants to rep the Houston Rockets or not. It'd be stupid on his own part, selfishly, just to all of a sudden be like, "Well, I hate Houston. I'm just going to score five points a game." Well, then he's a moron, <laughs> just from his own bank account, um, just for future mm-hmm. contracts. So For overall, sure. I don't I don't understand this whole he's portraying the city thing. There's players that are out for themselves, and fans are out for themselves. Let's just be real; they they're out for like with my with the Chicago Bulls. If you're on my team, I want you to to win a title. Um, if you're not, you're not. And I have certain feelings. Like I was happy for Jimmy Butler to be in the NBA Finals, but if he was, you know, 
if the Bulls somehow made it to the bubble and they were playing the Miami Heat, I'm not happy for Jimmy Butler. I want to see the Bulls beat them. <laughs> and it's just, mm-hmm. I'm, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I think this whole, it's a relationship between the player and the fan base is based on they're both having mutual interest. But this whole loyalty thing, I find kind of ridiculous to me. I don't know. I don't, I don't see the correlation. I totally agree. I, I think, you know, fans are a, a lot of fans, not all fans. Um, I, I think you do a good job as, as someone who has been a diehard Bulls fan. I, I think you do a good job of keeping things real, though. I, I think what what a lot of fans and and I think Bill Simmons to to some degree, you know, with the Celtics, um, I, I think they want like kind of that relationship that let's say I, I think best example you can point to is the relationship that Damian Lillard has with the Portland Trailblazers. I, I think they want that player that is like, I, I am <laughs> ride or die with you until the end. I want to be here. Sign me that extension. I'm going to fight for you. I don't know if, if we'll win a title, but I'm going to do everything that I can. I, I think every NBA fan wants that player on their franchise. Um, and, and it's just not the reality that in this day and age, every every superstar on your team and just about every team does have a, a pretty legitimate superstar, someone developing in, in that direction. Um, it, it's just not a reality that you're going to find that. So so I guess my my concern here with things is, you know, it's it's going to feel very hollow when James Harden leaves the Rockets, it's going to feel like, man, you spent eight years here and this is the way things, things kind of fizzle out. And and a lot of times, yeah, that that's just the way things go. You know, um, players don't have to have this, this diehard allegiance to their fan base, but I do wonder if it's a good thing for the long-term health of the NBA, this, if, so to speak, maybe the player empowerment pendulum has swung too far, not not as far as the um, the relationship between the the players and the owners. I, I don't think I see a ton of problems there, but I do think um, the the effect on the players relationship with the fans, I, I'm curious and having a majority of your fan base that just roots for players. Like I'm, I'm wondering long-term, is that a great thing for the NBA? Like, will we, will that naturally kind of leave? Cause like, like, for example, you look at team like Memphis, if, if they lost John Morant, let's say um, for trade or something else, like let's say they were doing fire sale or they just want to get a ton of draft picks, you know, whatever they, they basically get rid of their reason for you to come there and watch them play basketball. I mean, first of all, that'd be a huge error on the GM's part. Yes. Um, But does it give, I mean, are there tons of Memphis Grizzly fans that are just going to go there and watch whatever is on the court? I I don't know that there is like, so does this lead to, you know, more franchises leaving with, I mean, financially no, because the NBA is still, making, you know, multi-billion dollars, even as um, the salary cap lowers and, and things like that. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I tend to be nostalgic for the past. You and I have talked about this on the podcast. Um, and, and I just, 
wonder where the health of the the relationship between the players and fans is going. That's that's all I'm really speculating with this thing. I, I brought up on Twitter, you and I were were kind of texting back and forth about the reaction of this. You know, would the Rockets have been out of bounds to find James Harden for his actions this week? You know, he, he is kind of violating his contract, not showing up to practice for this. They would get a ton of bad press, a ton of bad feelings from other players around the league. I, I think that would be the resulting effect of that fine. Like a fine doesn't hurt James Harden. He's making money off his contract, you know, hand over fist. He's fine. Um, But the perception there would be, hey, don't sign with Houston because they they will find you for stuff like this. So it's kind of like that front office. If they wanted to say, hey, you're under contract. Come here. Be be the leader of our team like like we thought you wanted to be that you signed to be. You know, I don't know. I'm ranting. I'm rambling here. I apologize. But uh, I just wonder, you know, what are your thoughts on more of what I was talking to earlier of the relationship between like these franchises? Um, and, and I particularly want your perspective since you're still a Bulls fan. I mean, what do you think like the Bulls owe you as a fan? And like, what what would it take to break that bond? Is it just kind of like you're in it to the end? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think I has, I have gone through this in my mind because I'm I'm probably more old school than you are, and I would say the two things in terms the answer to your first question in terms of what would take the to kind of break my bond with the franchise one is moving, I think if the Bulls moved I think fair game to pick any other team, two mm. is a um, Donald Sterling like scandal, um, mm. those two things withstanding I think just to switch teams, I, look I'm a realist I think I hate to say this but. People were the era you're talking about, about fans rooting for players or teams or fans rooting for franchises. If you don't live in that town, you're going to root for the player. I just hate to say it. We're in that Mm -hmm. we're in that era now. It's over. Like and for the Bulls, you know, you take a look at the Bulls and the Knicks, like their season tickets for everything that that um, um, Jim Dolan has done, like to that franchise. They still sell out Madison Square Garden plenty of times. If LeBron's coming to town, look who's going to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. if, if Kevin Durant's if was watch Brooklyn versus the Knicks, you want to bet, you know, in normal circumstances, that'd be sold out easily. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or if, if Giannis is coming to town or, you know, any other top player, it's sold out. So I think in terms of hardcore fans, maybe, but honestly, you're in it to see the stars. You know, like it's a league, it's a star driven league compared to other sports and compared to football, which is more of a franchise. You're trying to build a team. The goal is the objective is, is for the 49ers is a good example. So I'm a fan of theirs. You're trying to see them build a team to be a contender to compete with other teams. They're not necessarily there to see stars. It's it's not a star driven league. The NBA is completely the opposite. Mm -hmm. And for something like the NBA, I'll even flip the pendulum around. Let's say the NBA wasn't a star-driven league. Let's just say there was a drought of the stars. It was kind of mediocre players, but the Bulls are really good. Will the season tickets really be, you know, that good? I mean, they have a hardcore fan base, so I would say yes, but other franchises, maybe not. You know, if there was a Memphis, and let's say they were the number one team in the NBA, but you didn't have those stars, would the would the Memphis Grizzlies be selling out every game? I have my doubts. I would. 
Mm-hmm. And if John Morant were to just, for instance, leave, but Memphis still were to get, you know, LeBron in the town and Kevin Durant and Giannis. And that's why it's, it's so important to, to franchise these players. Then you have Devin Booker, Trey Young's coming to town, you know? It's just like, yeah, you know, yeah, Memphis might be get killed, but look who I'm seeing. Like, I get to see Durant score 40. I mean, you know, it might suck to see my team get killed, but at the same time, you that's your one time to get to see that superstar player play in person. That does matter. So mm-hmm. I think this era of just, you know, loyalty to team, it's over. Um, I don't know. I, I think overall, for me, looking at just the health of the league, players are just going to reshuffle every certain amount of years. Damian Lillard is an exception to that rule. And for now, too, not, he could shuffle. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, fair enough. That's true. And also, players stay in towns for a certain amount of time. I mean, look how long James Harden. Let's say he just gets traded this year. Seven years is a long time. I don't. Mm-hmm. That's not like he was there for a cup of coffee. I'd say he gave it a shot. And for whatever reason, you want to blame James Harden. You want to blame the Rockets. Whoever side of the argument you want to take. He was there for a while. And I guess my concern, and I know it might be seem hypocritical, is like seeing a Kevin Durant situation in which. You know, he gets beaten by a team when he was with the Thunder, and then he just goes to that team and plays with them. Like, mm-hmm. that's where it gets icky. That's that's a situation which I don't like. But even LeBron going to the Heat, like, he was in Cleveland for a long time, and they failed to build a good team around him. He left. Yeah, he, he, he took off. And by the way, the Heat weren't a contender. They, I mean, it was still a big F in terms of, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. It wasn't like the Heat was this dynasty that he joined. So I'm not sweating it. I think players are going to stay at their hometowns for a certain amount of time, especially because the stars are the attraction. So like a player like Zion, for for instance, like if he was playing for the Alaskan, you know, fish wranglers, like whatever Alaskan arena, if they were to put an NBA franchise there, they'd be sold out. They want to see Zion play, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, and if, you know, so I don't think it's such a it's a the whole smart market big market thing. I think it's way overblown. And overall, you know, it's a player centric league. And I think as long as you have a pipeline of star driven players, the league's going to be I think fine. Um, and I think the way you measure analytics, and this is something that I want to discuss with other experts within the kind of um, media industry, is where the ratings go in terms of how the league is popular, right? In terms of what we what we talked about, you know, there's no Black Lives Matter on the court. That China situation seemed to be died down. Let's see how we take a look at the ratings in terms of so many storylines, right? I mean, we have Kevin Durant coming back, Kyrie Irving's with playing with him. We have Zion, we have LeBron, we have Damian Lillard, Trey Young, you know, Chris Paul's with Devin Booker. I mean, we have all Luca. I mean, we have all mm-hmm. these storylines throughout the league, and even minor like Laurie Marketing with the Bulls, you know, even you know Aaron Gordon with you know the Orlando Magic. All these light storylines. Let's see how it, it it fluctuates through this league because we have tons of star players. The ratings should be indicative of a hot league, you know, every single. Mm-hmm. And we see the highlights on Twitter every single night of spectacular things happening. Let's see how it plays out. So I'm not worried. I'm not concerned. I think it's overblown, but James Harden, the way he, the way he's, he's handled it very unprofessional. And, you know, I think if his play is um, less than previous years, he's going to lose a lot of money. So 
that's that's his doing, and I don't feel sorry for him. But in terms of this whole thing of panic, I, I I'm I'm not worried at all. Yeah, I'm not worried either. And let me uh, let me just play devil's advocate because I I think the the area where I'm concerned, I, I'm not worried about the health of the league for the record, um, anything like that. I, you and I have said multiple times on this show that, you know, the league is as deep as it's ever been. The league is as talented as it's ever been. The league is, you know, I mean, may, maybe some folks prefer maybe a slower, more defensive style of basketball. Really, I, I don't think most people would say that. I, I think some people grow tired of, like, say, in Houston when Daryl Morey was there and there was it was like a three-pointer or a layup, that type of system. Yes, a lot of people have said not fun to watch. But overall, the league, like, looks better, is, is a better-looking product on the court with ball movement, creativity, those types of things. So 100%. I mean, I, I don't think the league is in trouble. The the one thing I would say to play devil's advocate is, you know, you, you bring up LeBron James going to the heat. That is, you know, really a watershed moment where we see a huge impact on arguably the start of the player empowerment era. Uh, I mean, really, we, we saw a lot of things with Jordan that started encouraging player empowerment. A lot of that, too, was you know, thanks to some things that David Stern did. I mean, credit where credit is due, you know, in the 80s, bringing the league up. We've seen a continuation of that. Um, and, and LeBron was kind of the start of breaking that trend of, gosh, I have to stay loyal to my franchise no matter what, which I think is good and healthy. And, you know, as you know, being one of my best friends, we talked about this a lot. I, I totally agreed with LeBron's decision to go to the Heat. I said he was within his rights to do that. He was a free agent. So you are you are by definition a free agent. You're free to go wherever you want to go. Now the way he did that, of course, you know wasn't the best as it as it turned out. Yes, he raised a lot of money for charity, which is great from a PR standpoint. He took a big hit, took a long time to recover from that. Yada yada yada. We all know that story. So he was a free agent. We see then this this kind of evolution go along, where we're now getting. You're the top star in the league. You're signing like these two-year deals. Like even we talked about last week that LeBron had re-signed for two years with the Lakers, et cetera. So he's, he's betting on himself, his own interest. That's great within his rights. I, I, again, I have no, no problem with that at all. Um, where things start to devolve, I think, the Kevin Durant move from OKC to the Warriors. That's, that's one thing. Um, that you brought up that, that I think is a valid concern. That's more a mentality thing, more like, hey, didn't you care about us at all in OKC? You, you want to go there and just win this, some would say, hollow title in Golden State. Um, you know, I, I think that was another more minor than the LeBron decision, but another watershed moment. Um, then we have the, and the reason I think this James Harden thing is, is problematic not that he wants to be traded, but the timing that he wants to be traded and the fact that it became public, where you've still got two years on your contract. If if this happens behind closed doors with the front office and it doesn't leak, I don't think I have any issue with it whatsoever, like like I said. But, um, but I do worry, especially with like Anthony Davis heading over to the Lakers, you could argue that title with the Lakers, while you and I both say, of course, it's a legit title. Those guys are amazing together, LeBron and Anthony Davis. I, I'm not sure how that really feels like there's much of a connection between the Lakers fans and 
AD and LeBron James for winning that title. I mean, I'm sure they're thrilled they won a title, but doesn't it feels like a mercenary title is is what I would call it. Um, with James Harden requesting this trade with two years left on his contract, I my big worry here is that we get a snowball effect and like, hey, I just signed a five-year deal with you, but I just wanted to get that money. And um, yeah, we're only one year into this five-year deal, but I really want to be traded. Now, it's it's definitely not cut and dry. I mean, every situation is individualized. If you are playing like LeBron back in the late 2000s, that Cleveland franchise, he built that up. There was clearly a lot of incompetence in the front office there, which again is a big part of the reason I was okay with him leaving to Miami. So I, I do think there's, there's a spectrum here. It's, it's not all cut and dry, like, Hey, never do this. Um, but with that in reason, let's say you're, you're not in this franchise under terrible conditions. They're treating you poorly. They're not making any effort, et cetera. I mean, we would all agree that you should want to get out of there. Do you see a problem or do you see a situation where we could, have things evolve to where players are like one or two years into their deal and making public requests and pushes for trades. Uh, I don't, I think the league will kibosh that. I mean, the league, you know, they were famous for kiboshing the Chris Paul trade, right? Him went to the Lakers, I think. Was it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that was the situation where the league owned the Pelicans at the time. Understood. And they didn't yeah. think they were getting a good deal out of that, that trade. Uh, um, yeah, I, yeah, I just think in terms of anything that's going like, to compromise, the, I guess, the integrity of the league, and there's all kinds of conspiracy theories surrounding that situation, but I, <laughs> I, I, I just don't think overall that's going to happen. I think players are generally excited to play for their franchises. I don't think it's a thing where, I think in the 90s, maybe it's a thing, oh, man, I'm in this franchise, and it sucks. Like, like the Bucks are a good example, right? Like, you know, was I'm was Giannis maybe excited to play with the Milwaukee Bucks? I don't maybe think so, but you saw the Bucks really transform. Look, they changed their uniforms. They changed the whole identity around their team, right? So I think overall with a lot of these teams, like their identities, you know, are changed according to the player that they land. So I don't know. I think over players are willing to give it a shot. I don't think they're going to be unreasonable. I'm not honestly. I'm not worried about this. I, I really think players. I, the, the Durant thing was an outlier. I think with this whole thing with James Harden, I don't see the correlation. He's been there for a long time, and he wants out. Mm -hmm. So even and, though he has two years, yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, I I was also going to say I think Houston was lazy with James Harden in sure. in terms of their coaching. So I I want to be fair to James Harden too. It's it's unfair or. I, I would say not enough, a, a little bit of incompetence to say, hey, our offense is James Harden has the ball 80 percent of the time. You, you know, it's it's a very lazy way of doing an offense. That's that's no intended disrespect to anyone who coached him. But I, I think it's it's fair of him to expect to have a little more support than what he got for some of those playoff series. And. Yes, I also would agree that he he deserves some criticism for some things that happened, like especially, um, you know, in, in that Clippers series back in the, the mid-2010s, I think it was 2015, where 
I mean, the the team came back with James Harden sitting on the bench, you know, so so there are fair criticisms of him in the playoffs for sure. But I also think that like your scheme of, hey, James Harden does it will eventually lead to, man, I I'm just so tired of running everything and everything going through me like, yeah, I want to I want to carry most of the burden. That's to be expected. But gosh, can like someone else dribble the ball for this play? <laughs> I, yeah. I think that's fair, too. Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, yeah, we'll just have to, you know, this is going to be a topic that we're going to be talking about probably every week, every couple of weeks. Um, w- One last thing I wanted to run by you and then we'll wrap it up. Um, And this is something that we didn't discuss off air, but I think it's something we should touch on. And that's Kevin Durant and I believe for sure Kyrie Irving not talking to the media this season. Mm. A total yes, media I'm glad blackout. you brought this up. Um, just your thoughts on this. And I don't think we have to go too in depth. Uh, maybe something for next week we can kind of delve more into, but I think it's very unprofessional. I think it shows us that's something to hide and it sets a bad precedence for the rest of the season. Um, the, the only positive of this is that any of their comments is not going to be a distraction. However, these two guys are on social media. So it's not like if they were like to be like, hey, we're not going to be on social media, total, you know, like LeBron, zero dark 30. We're not talking to no one. You're not going to hear from us except us on the basketball court. But I don't see that as the case. And also Kevin Durant has his own podcast. So this dude is not going to be silent for the rest of the season. So that's for their own personalities. They're going to still create distractions. So I just think <laughs> – I think it's going to be more is, distracting. I think so too. And one thing is in your contract, you have to talk to the media. So I just don't understand how they can get away with this, but those are just my light thoughts. What do you, what do you think about them um, pretty much shutting out the entire media this season? Well, I, okay. This is a very interesting kind of unprecedented situation. So I've, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. For one thing, I hope that, the NBA thinks about how they're doing post-game media because I, I think we have too much of it and I'm not calling anyone out for doing a bad job or anything like that. It, it is what it is. It's set up the way it is. I hope we review how that is. I, I don't, I, I don't see a ton of value in post-game in the locker room interviews. Like when guys are still cooling off from games that's when we tend to get like the most outlandish unprofessional stuff. And, and I don't think that's great. I, I do like, you know, the, the media room, et cetera, that situation, that's fine. And, and to go along with what we were talking about earlier, talking to the media after games. Yeah. That's in part for sports news and for headlines for them, but that interaction too, the, those clicks that that generates, that is important for the health of, what we talked about earlier, the players and the fans together. That's us getting to see their perspective on things. That's us connecting um, relationships with those fans. Like, man, I, I didn't know that um, Alex Crusoe had that perspective on that, but that's, that's awesome. I, I'm a Lakers fan. Uh, this is my guy now and, and builds him up into a fan favorite as he's become, you know, situations like that. It's, it's important for the players to talk to the media, no doubt. Um, I, I do hope we kind of, if, if these guys stick with this, which I don't know how long they're going to want to continue to be fined. Um, but I, I do hope that there's some, some kind of rethinking about how 
post-game media especially is is done and is is there too much because i i would say right now yeah there's there's a little bit too much it's it's a little overwhelming i don't know you are i mean your degree is in <laughs> communications if, if i'm not mistaken so i'm sure you have tons of thoughts on this situation what are your thoughts on on this how would you like to see this unfold and is it just as simple as these guys are being ridiculous well i think the the locker room is a venue to get more informal gossip right i mean that's where you're getting most of your dirt from compared to a formal press conference and because there's more games and because they're more high profile the quotes you get from a high profile athlete are going to be very i would say corny very stereotypical and not very original and mm-hmm. i think that's what separates you know team sports from us from sports like boxing or even mma where you're getting more honest responses from from the athletes and i i don't know i i think post-game press conferences how many people are really watching him probably none i remember being watching the nba finals and i was a nerd so the the finals would conclude and then you would watch the post-game press conferences on like msnbc or something but how many people were really watching that mm-hmm. not the majority of your audience and i think honestly what people feel more connected to is social media like they're mm-hmm. following him on twitter that's you players have their own voices. So overall, I think uh, from being a, from a fan standpoint, because I'm not actually a media journalist covering the league, you know, day in, day out, um, like some of our colleagues we've interviewed, I think post game press conferences should stay. Um, I think, you know, after the game interviews and then that's kind of it. Let the guys be in peace. But however, I think from a beat writer, I think that's where to get a lot of the dirt, right? That's where. You might get some offhanded comments. And also, too, I think a lot of the beat writers enjoy that time, that camaraderie. They trust, mm. you know, they trust those beat writers with information. I think that's where they get to cultivate those relationships when it's, you know, they're after taking a shower and they get to talk, you know, without any cameras there. And they get mm. to, you know, talk when, you know, there's practices, off season practices, not off season, but, you know, off game practices. And um, that's where they get to cultivate those relationships. So, Overall, I think by eliminating that, you're going to eliminate kind of the intimacy those players have. But at the same time, there is social media. I can see both sides of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But if it's in your contract in terms of Durant and uh, Irving, you're obligated to talk to the media. I mean, that's just the case. And I think it's just very unprofessional. So, um, again – oh, go ahead. Sorry. Just – you know, one one quick thought, you know, Kyrie Irving kind of alluded to, like, I hope this this money is going to special causes from this fine, you know, because there are a lot of communities in need, things like that. Do you think that th- this is an honest sentiment from Kyrie Irving, or do you think this is kind of like kind of a cop out to deflect attention from the fact that he's going to be fined for not living up to his contract? combination of both i mean Kyrie's very giving i mean look how much i mean it's, as much as i i personally do not like Kyrie irving i think he's a fantastic player but mm-hmm. personally do not like the guy but i mean his defense he's very charitable i mean mm-hmm. look at everything he did during the pandemic other stuff he's done i mean he really cares about his community that you cannot take that away from him so i think it's a combination of both and i think he generally wants to help you know 
the causes that he's into. I think that's totally valid. Mm-hmm. So, but the the positive byproduct of that is that you know it helps him from a public relations standpoint. So I can't hurt. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, I, for sure. So I think um, that's going to wrap up our show, man. Do you have any other thoughts? Man, I, I think we're good. I think, uh, you know, just to leave with kind of a hot take, we don't have to comment on this, but I do think the Rockets need to trade James Harden. And I think that team is going to be more fun to watch with John Wall and Boogie Cousins. Not as successful without James Harden, mind you, but, you know, I, I'm excited for change on on the Rockets as I'm I'm trying to, you know, get, get my son into rooting for a team with me, things like that. I, I'm excited for change. I'm so, you know, hopefully it works out well for for all parties, of course. What happens if uh, your son becomes a Knicks fan? <laughs> what are you going to um, do? <laughs> he becomes a Knicks fan. Man, I, I don't even know how that would happen. I guess uh, <laughs> I'm just going to have to turn. Well, you know, I, I'm not like hardline like. Hey, you got to root right for now. the same team as me, or <laughs> anything like that. No. There, there will be no consequences if um, he becomes a Knicks fan, other than me just laughing at him a lot. <laughs> he's in a world for hurt, so he's it might be a, I don't know, like very tough willed to, to stick with that that team choice. That's for sure. I mean, are um, are you just like a glutton for punishment? Why actually, why exactly. have you made this decision? Uh, you know, we might maybe have that conversation down the road, but no, no, you you can root for the Knicks if you want, son. <laughs> well, with that, I think that's going to conclude our show. Um, check us out on social media under Hoopsology. Um, send us an email at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes um, and check out our rest of our library. Uh, we have great interviews. I'm still previewing this upcoming season, so they're still timely. Um, check those out. We still got our interview from um, NBA Jam um, author Rayan Ali. Uh, we have interviews with Zach Levitt. Um, plenty of great content for you to get ready for the upcoming season. And then, Matt, we have our YouTube channel, right? You're posting some more interviews on there, and then you have your own video content also exactly yep we are on pace right now loading up at least two videos a week looking to expand that down the road but uh got to do a, some backlogging of of some of our timeless guest interviews uh we've been putting that on there so for those of you you know obviously those of you who made it here are podcast listeners but those of you who like to put something on on the background on youtube like while you're working or whatever we're going to have content up there as well. So definitely looking to expand that channel more and more. Uh, so definitely give us, if you're a podcast listener, give us a follow on YouTube as well, please. That'll, that'll help us out a ton. We appreciate it. So for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum, and we'll see you next time. Have a great week. Peace.